Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of raccoon dogs. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is the tanuki, aka the Japanese raccoon dog. So this word is pronounced tanuki in Japanese, but we're going to pronounce it tanuki because we're Americans. That's how Americans pronounce it. Paul, where did you first hear of tanuki? Uh, when I was a little kid playing Super Mario 3 on the Nintendo, yeah, you could get a Tanuki suit that lets you fly around with Mario. Yeah. As a kid, I had no idea what was going on with that. Like, why does this leaf make Mario turn into a Tanuki? What is a Tanuki, you know? Yeah, it was like the best item in the game, though. Yeah. Yeah, but by the end of this episode, that whole thing in Mario will make a lot of sense. We're going to get into it. Yeah. And I'd heard other things about Tanuki as well through the years, but I actually did not know that Tanuki are real animals. Yeah, they are. Like, I'd never seen a video of a Tanuki or heard about a Tanuki being in a zoo somewhere. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew what a real life Tanuki looked like until I went to Japan and saw like a taxidermied one in a, in a shop somewhere. <laughs> I still haven't seen a living one in person. So yeah, to me, a real-life tanuki looks like a cross between a fox and a raccoon. Would you say that's uh, fairly accurate? Yeah, I'd say that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. But as we mentioned, it's often translated to raccoon dog in English, even though it is neither of those things. <laughs> and tanuki also play a very big part in Japanese folklore, going back hundreds of years. And this is some of my favorite... Japanese folklore because it's just really unusual and hilarious and awesome. Yeah. In Japanese folklore, tanuki are reputed to have many powers and special things that they can do. Yeah, they're pretty cool. And also, we're going to get into more detail on this, but for now, as a teaser, I just want to say that we'll be talking quite a bit about the male anatomy of tanuki, and things are going to get a little graphic. Is that fair to say, Paul? Graphic? Um, we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, if you have young children that you would like to shield from that sort of talk, consider yourself warned. So in this episode, we're going to talk a bit about the real animal, but the real meat of the episode is all that folklore, the myths and legends surrounding this animal. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about the Tanuki's role in modern Japanese culture, because they're still, I mean, you see them around a lot if you're just walking around Japan. They're as popular as ever in Japan. Yep. All right, so the real-life tanuki. First of all, I think it's important to note that throughout Japanese history, that word tanuki was not super precise. It was used in different parts of the country, in different ways to refer to a variety of small fox-like or badger-like animals. There's even another word that describes a lot of those animals Mujina. So, a lot of confusion about what those referred to. In fact, in 1924, there was this guy that was taken to trial for hunting tanuki because it was illegal in the area at the time. But he was acquitted because he said that he wasn't planning on hunting tanuki. He was out there to hunt Mujina. But in the local dialect, Mujina referred to a tanuki. So, so there's been a lot of confusion in Japan about what words refer to what animals, and that confusion 
crossed over to English as well, where Tanuki is often called raccoon dog, like we said, or I saw it's translated a lot as badger too, which is even probably further from what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier, not closely related to raccoons. Right. The name and the black stripe under its eyes are what uh, causes people to think about them in the same regard as raccoons. Yeah, they do look similar to raccoons, especially the face. Yeah. But raccoons have a black stripe down their forehead, like the middle of their forehead down to their nose, which Tanuki do not. So that's one easy way to tell the difference. And Tanuki are actually canines. So they're much closer related to wolves and foxes. Right. Than to raccoons. Yeah, actually one big difference is between the tanuki and the raccoon is their paws. Have you ever looked at a raccoon's paws? Raccoons have hands that look like human hands. Yeah, they're very strange and creepy. <laughs> but uh, tanuki paws are actually really similar to like fox paws. They got the little pads like dogs do, yeah. you know, little separated pads on the bottom of their feet. Yeah. They also don't have striped tails like raccoons. Although in a lot of uh, like cartoon depictions, you will see a striped tail on the tanuki, which kind of adds to that confusion. <laughs> but they are about the size of a raccoon, right? Maybe a little bigger, but close. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that tanuki are the only canines that hibernate in winter. Yeah. I also saw they're among the most primitive canids. So I think that's, that might have a lot to do with it, as uh, over time other canids evolved so that they didn't need to hibernate. Yeah. And tanuki are nocturnal, but it's not uncommon for people to see them in daylight. They are omnivores. They eat anything from fruits, nuts, and berries to insects, rodents, birds, reptiles. They'll eat pretty much anything, including garbage, which is another thing that they share with the raccoon that, you know, contributes <laughs> yeah. to the confusion. So the Japanese tanuki is actually a subspecies of the Asian raccoon dog which can be found all over Eastern Asia and even up into Russia. Yeah. Tanuki were introduced into the Western part of the Soviet Union in the 1950s for fur. And they spread into Scandinavia, and they can be found all the way as far south as France today. Yeah. I think I saw even they popped up in Spain. That's crazy. <laughs> Spain's south of France, right? Yeah, Spain's warm. Yeah, I mean, they, they're super adaptable. Some places they, you know, didn't adapt so well, but a lot of places they did, and they're all over Europe now. Yeah, in addition to hunting them for fur, in Japanese culture, tanuki meat is said to have medicinal qualities. Cool. And they sometimes use the fur for brushes as well as clothing. Yeah, like calligraphy brushes, right? Yeah. I saw that. Tanuki fur. Very cool. All right, so that's the real animal. But let's get to the meat of the episode, the folklore. This stuff is so awesome. And I was thinking we'd go through the folklore more or less chronologically to show how it evolved over time. Because the way that the tanuki is seen in Japan these days is very different from the way it was originally seen in Japan hundreds of years ago. Yeah, a lot of the folklore is relatively recent. Yeah. So let's start with fox folklore, because it's very closely connected with tanuki folklore. Around the 6th century, when all sorts of stuff was coming over from China, Japan imported fox folklore, 
And in China, the fox was seen as evil. They were bad luck. They could cause people to go insane. They could cause disease and death. They could possess people, hypnotize people. And they were known as shapeshifters. So when this was imported to Japan, that kind of idea seems to have been applied to both foxes and tanuki and mujina or you know kind of that whole category of animals that people were a little confused about yeah but in shinto tradition from around the 11th century the fox was also known as the messenger of inari the japanese kami of rice so the fox also had a connection to divinity so it was evil but also it was seen as sacred and regal and you know powerful and all that stuff. And the tanuki specifically didn't appear in literature until around the 13th century. And in a lot of ways, it still reflected a lot of those qualities attributed to foxes. But the tanuki did not have that divine connection. It wasn't associated with the gods. So while the fox was clever and dignified, the tanuki was kind of the fox's dopey cousin. So tales about Tanuki had a more humorous twist. There were still clever and mischievous tricksters like the fox, but they were also gullible and easily outsmarted. I have a story that I will tell later on to illustrate that point. Some of the ideas that were transmitted from Chinese fox lore that made it to the Tanuki include things like gaining power with age. Yeah. So the older a tanuki is, it's more becomes more and more powerful. Yeah, I think, or there's some legends that said that a tanuki couldn't transform until it was a thousand years old. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Another one is that dogs are their mortal enemies. I didn't know that. Yeah, and capable of killing tanuki. Hmm. Which is interesting because they're closely related to dogs. Yeah. But the people back then probably didn't know that. Yeah, right. There are also some differences between fox lore and tanuki lore. One of them being that tanuki do not gain tails when they age. Right. A fox gains a tail every hundred years, I believe. Yeah. So if you're familiar with the uh, nine tails, which is, I mean, it appears in folklore and in Pokemon games, the nine-tailed fox, that's all based on that idea. And another difference is that foxes are said to be able to breed with humans, whereas tanuki cannot. I don't know where you found that stuff, Paul. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's, I don't know what that is. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's all I've got about like the ancient folklore. Okay. Well, should we talk about the Edo period then? Yeah, this is when tanuki really blew up in popularity, isn't it? Yeah, it really did. And by the way, the Edo period is the 1600s, 1700s, and most of the 1800s. And if you recall from our episode 16, our Halloween special about yurei and yokai, we talked about how in the Edo period, yokai, Japanese monsters or supernatural beings, became really popular. I'm thinking there's got to be some connection between that phenomenon and the exploding popularity of tanuki folklore. Yeah, I think that definitely went hand in hand. Yeah, so the tanuki became a type of yokai, often referred to as bake danuki. And that bake part indicates their shape-shifting powers. Bake mono is a subclass of yokai that are shape-shifters. So Paul, do you know how a tanuki shape-shifts? 
I believe they need leaves in order to shapeshift. Yeah, what I read is they put a leaf on their head and then they can transform. <laughs> so that brings us back to Super Mario Brothers. Because Mario grabs a leaf and then he turns into a tanuki. Yeah. That's where that all came from. Yep. Awesome. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that when I was a kid. You know, I was just like, a leaf and now I'm a raccoon. Ha ha, crazy Japanese games. This is awesome. Yeah, it's crazy that (laughs) decades later, it's like we're filling in all the gaps and all these weird games make sense now. Yeah. It's fun. There are a lot of other video games that are based on yokai legends too. Like, I mean, I mentioned Pokemon. Tons of Pokemon are based on yokai. Persona 5, no, you haven't played that, but there are a lot of things in Persona 5 that are based on yokai legends. So yeah, Tanuki, shapeshifters. They could turn into not only other living things, but inanimate objects too. And they would use their shapeshifting power to play tricks on people. Most of the tales seem to revolve around playing tricks on hunters in the woods, because that's where the Tanuki like to hang out. It's where real-life Tanuki live in the woods. So they would like to turn into beautiful women and lead people into the woods, get them lost in there. That's another thing that foxes were known for, too. They would do that kind of thing. Tanuki can even transform into the moon or a moon. So the hunter looks up and he sees two moons and he's like, oh, crap, I must be going insane. (laughs) Yeah, that would be creepy. Yeah. I heard that the Tanuki sometimes appear as one-eyed demons hmm. that are able to produce thunder and rain. Mm, yeah, I saw they illusions. could. Yeah, they can produce sounds too. I saw a story. This one's kind of fun. There was a, a Tanuki was he got caught in a trap. Farmer comes by and lets him loose, and in return, the Tanuki turned into a teapot and said, "Hey, hey, farmer, you can sell me." as a teapot for money. And that's like how I'll repay you for setting me free. So I assume the Tanuki's plan was to escape once he was sold before he was used as a teapot, but he didn't have a chance to escape. So the buyer put him over a fire and the Tanuki couldn't handle the heat. So all of a sudden the teapot sprouted legs and a tail and just ran off. (laughs) And I actually saw a bunch of pictures of teapots with like a Tanuki face and little Legs sticking out the sides. I kind of want one of those now. It's pretty cool. I like that story because it shows that even when repaying a debt, the Tanuki's mischievous. Yeah. I'll turn into a counterfeit good that you can sell to the local (laughs) monks and then I'll run away and you can keep your money. Like Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That story struck me a little bit because it's like, why is the Tanuki even being nice to this guy? But he's not really being nice. It's like a transaction. And We'll get into it a little later. There's a lot of uh, transactional kind of stuff that Tanuki are associated with. Yeah. Another one of the Tanuki's favorite things to transform into is uh, fat Buddhist monks. Did you see that, Paul? Yeah. And they have a deep knowledge of the sutras. Hmm. They enjoyed misleading scholars. (laughs) (laughs) So a Tanuki in this form is called a Tanuki Bozu. And I actually saw that these tales about the Tanuki transforming into monks was kind of a satire of lazy, greedy monks. Because in episode nine, when we're talking about temples and shrines, we talked about how Buddhism was not super popular with the people in the Edo period because it was kind of forced upon them, right? And a lot of these monks weren't actually really like devout and stuff. They would pretend to be, but they're just sitting there getting rich and fat on the donations and stuff. 
So these kinds of tales were a way to kind of throw shade at the monks. Yeah, in a non-blasphemous sort of way. Yeah. All right, I like that. Tanuki would also turn into government officials to mess with people. I mean, all this stuff is just about messing with people, you know? So Tanuki would maybe be like a police officer and they accuse you of a crime that you didn't do, or maybe they're a tax collector and they're just harassing you to pay them taxes and stuff. But if you're being harassed by someone and you suspect it might be a Tanuki, there are ways you can tell. How's that? Well, the first clue is they might be somewhat luminous. They can glow while would, they're shape-shifted. Would give it away. Yeah. If it rains, that's an easy way to tell because their clothes will stay dry even when they're being rained on. Okay. And I guess the most obvious one, if this happens, so they need to like focus on their illusion to, uh, to keep their form. But if they lose focus, their tail might pop out. And then you can tell, ah, oh, it's a tanuki. There's your tail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, shapeshifters. And that's pretty fun. But like other yokai, tanuki possess other supernatural powers. For example, they can possess people. And I mentioned earlier, I think foxes could possess people. Same yeah. thing with tanuki. And Paul mentioned the illusions, a bunch of illusions they can do. One of their favorite things would be to make people lose their way. They just like getting people lost in the woods because they thought it was funny because they're kind of (laughs) jerks. They've got some other tricks too. They can turn pebbles and leaves into fake money. Yeah. So they'll come by and spend a bunch of money and then they'll leave and all their money will turn back into pebbles. Pretty cool. And also on a grosser note, they can turn dung into delicious looking meals. Yeah, so don't buy food from a tanuki because you'll be eating this delicious meal and then all of a sudden, just in the middle of it, like while you're putting it into your mouth and chewing it, all of a sudden, poop. You got poop in your mouth. Gross. Yeah. Those are little party tricks compared to some of the stuff they can do. Like what? I heard they can conjure up an entire city as an illusion. Yeah. They can totally mess with people's perception of reality. You can be in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden be convinced that you're on a busy market street. Yeah. Awesome. So Edo period art and literature also describes the Tanuki's big belly. And they like to drum on their belly. The belly drumming seems to have been entertainment for the Tanuki. They would have parties together in the woods. But they could also use that drumming to, again, mess with people and make them lose their way in the woods. There are stories of people walking through the woods and they hear this distant drumming. It's like, oh, is there a festival going on? I didn't hear about that. Maybe I'll I'll try to follow these drums and find out where the sound's coming from. But the drums keep moving further and further away and you never find them. And then all of a sudden... You realize you're lost in the woods. Never follow drums in the woods. Yep. And the sound that they make when they're drumming on their belly. Pon poco, pon poco, pon poco. And pon poco is the title of a 1994 Studio Ghibli movie about a bunch of tanuki. Did you know that, Paul? Yeah, I did. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. either. But apparently in the English translation in that movie... They're raccoons, <laughs> not, not tanuki. That's too bad. Yeah. In some stories, 
the Tanuki get so into their belly drumming that they beat their belly bare and die. <laughs> <laughs> They're really into that drumming, apparently. Jeez. They like to party a little bit. Yeah. Paul, should we, uh, should we get to the very best part of the episode? <laughs> yeah. It's time to drop the hammer here. All right. Do you want to do it or should I? Why don't you go ahead? Oh, okay. Thanks, buddy. So there's a lot of art from the late Edo period about the Tanuki's enormous beanbag, if you know what I'm saying. Dong pillow. I don't understand. Hairy bubblegum. <laughs> Potato sack. Any of these, Landon? Not, not following. I'm talking about the Tanuki's scrotum. Oh. Right? Yeah, their ball sack. There are a bunch of woodblock prints from the Edo period. This didn't really appear in the legends or literature about it. It's mostly a visual gag sort of thing. But there are a bunch of paintings of Tanuki with these enormous ball sacks, using them for all sorts of things. There's one where they're using them as sails for boats. A net to catch fish. A net to catch birds. <laughs> Umbrellas. Hats. Target practice. There's one where there's one Tanuki. He's got his scrotum on a stand for a target, and a bunch of other Tanuki are shooting arrows at it. That sounds awful. I guess it's fun for Tanuki. And it should be noted that these Tanuki have giant scrotums, but not giant testicles. Right. It's just the scrotum. Yeah. They are able to stretch their hairy bubblegum. That's my favorite euphemism, <laughs> I think. That's a good one. Their hairy bubblegum to the size of eight tatami mats. That's, that's big. That is big. We talked in the architecture episode. A tatami mat is 1.8 meters long and half as wide. So eight of those, that is a giant scrotum, Paul. Yeah, it is. But yeah, like you said, it's not the beans that are big, just the bean bag. Yeah. Yep. So this is not about their virility or sexual prowess. It's about money. Yeah, money. <laughs> How is it about money, Paul? Well, it goes back to, in Japan, they used to use scrotums cut from real-life tanuki as a sack to hammer gold in to turn it into gold leaf. Yeah, they put a gold nugget into the ball sack, pound it flat, and the tanuki's skin, the scrotum skin was so stretchy that they could pound it out without it tearing. And it would just stretch along with and Create the these huge, flat sheets of gold. Apparently. And eventually, people started using that scrotum skin to make coin pouches and lucky charms because it was said to stretch your money. Yeah, tanuki scrotums are known in Japanese slang as money bags. I guess because they're used as actual money bags. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if they still are, but they were for a while. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little weird to see someone nowadays walking around like actually at the Nuki Valsack. Who knows? Money. Honestly, I wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. There's also another slang connection. Uh, Kinotama means a small ball of gold, and Kintama is slang for testicles. One little connection there. Yeah, so basically the large ball sack has morphed into a sign of luck with money. Exactly. Yep. There's even, uh, well, this isn't connected to the money thing, but just another fun fact about Tanuki scrotums. Keep going. 
So there's a traditional children's song. Did you see this? Yeah. This Are has you, been... You can, you can sing it for us? Oh, you know I will. Oh, yeah. It's been stuck in my head all day, man. I've, I've been practicing. <laughs> okay, here we go. Tan, 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 no ki no kin tamawa. Kaze mo nai no ni bura bura. That sounds like a Japanese kid song. Yeah, you I know like what it. it translates to? I don't remember. So, Tantan Tanuki, his, uh, his, his jingle bells, the Tanuki's balls, even when there's no wind, they swing, swing. Isn't that fun? That's a fun little children's song. Mm-hmm. Anything else about Tanuki scrotums, Paul? Ah, uh, just to mention again, the pictures. Oh, yeah. Go look up some pictures. You really, really should. All you need to even Google is just Tanuki artwork, and you'll find all sorts of giant scrotums. Yeah, you'll see. You'll see what we're talking about. The artists got creative on a lot of those. Yeah, they must have had so much fun making those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so I have a little tale. I thought, you know, if we're talking about Tanuki folklore, we have to at least include one, like, full legend, right? Yeah, absolutely. I have one very popular one, apparently, called Kachikachiyama. Translates to Firecrackle Mountain, or something of the sort. And of course, it's folklore, so there are all sorts of variations, but here's the one that I like. You ready, Paul? Yeah. For story time? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. A farmer found a tanuki causing trouble in his fields, stealing food and whatnot. So he caught the tanuki, he tied it to a tree so he could kill and cook it later. Okay. The farmer left to go to town for a bit, and the tanuki's just hanging out, hanging in the tree, and he sees the man's wife making mochi. So he begs her, begs her to set him free. I can help you make the mochi, you know? And then after we're done, you can tie me back up. Before your husband comes home, it'll be like nothing ever happened. I just want to help you out with that mochi. Mochi is hard work. Yeah, it is. It's hard for one person. I don't, I don't know how you would even do that. So, this wife was apparently very trusting and somewhat naive. She let the tanuki free. And what did he do in return? He immediately murdered her. Oh, no. Yeah. It gets worse, though. That's not even the worst part. No, it can't get worse. (laughs) It gets so much worse. So, he killed her. He shape-shifted into her. He disguised himself as the wife, and then he cooked her into a stew. Oh, no. Yeah. And he ate it, right? No, he he didn't eat it. No? No. He waited until the farmer came home, and the tanuki, still disguised as the wife, of course, fed the farmer the stew made out of his wife. Oh, dear Lord. I know. That's pretty sick, right? (laughs) Yeah. And after the meal, the tanuki reverted to his original tanuki form and said, ha ha, made you eat your wife. How do you like that? And then he ran away. That's some revenge. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that was, a, that was an evil tanuki. Yeah. But that's not the end of the story. This farmer had a friend, a rabbit that lived nearby. The rabbit heard what happened, and he told the farmer, you know what, I'm going to get that tanuki. I'm going to make him pay. So the rabbit ran after the tanuki, and when he found him, he's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a rabbit. Let's be friends. What do you say? And the tanuki's like, okay, yeah, I could use some friends. But the rabbit wasn't really his friend. He was just faking. So he could play all these tricks to torture the tanuki. For example, 
One night, the Tanuki was carrying a bunch of wood on his back, back to their camp to make a campfire. Yeah. And the rabbit snuck up behind him and lit it on fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the Tanuki hears the crackling sound, kachi kachi, and he asked the rabbit, hey, what's that sound? And the rabbit says, oh, we're right by kachi kachi yama, kachi kachi mountain. And, uh, you know, that mountain is known for these crackling sounds coming from it. So that, that must be what you're hearing. And the Tanuki's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because Tanukis aren't super bright, a little gullible. Yeah. So the wood on his back burned and burned the Tanuki's back. It was a bad time for the Tanuki. But the rabbit's like, oh, no. Oh, you know what? Don't worry. I, can, I got some medicine. I can tend to your wounds on your back. And he had this paste that he made out of hot peppers. Oh. That he rubbed into oh. the Tanuki's wounds. Bad. Yeah. So eventually, you know, they're just hanging out, having fun. Uh, the rabbit's having more fun than the Tanuki. Yeah. And uh, at some point, the Tanuki challenged the rabbit to a race across the lake. Okay. So the rabbit carved a wooden boat for himself, and then he made a boat for the Tanuki, but the Tanuki's boat he made out of mud. So they get out on the lake, and the mud boat starts dissolving in the middle of the lake. So at this point, the rabbit takes the opportunity to tell the Tanuki, hey, you know that uh, that farmer and his wife that you messed with i'm their friend and now you gonna die wow yep you know in different versions the tanuki's death happens in different ways but i like the ones where the the rabbit holds his head underwater with the oar until oh. he drowns oh here's <laughs> some some brutal folk That's tales a hardcore you know? rabbit yeah this kind of stuff reminds me of uh the old Old fairy tales, you know, in their original forms, they were always really dark and yeah, gruesome. Yeah, people were going to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting story. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tanuki drowned, Rabbit went back and told the farmer, everyone lived happily ever after. The wife was the only nice one out of the lot. She was naive. She just wasn't prepared to survive in the world. Yeah, she was nice though. What did the farmer do wrong? Oh, because he was going to eat the Tanuki. Yeah, he was going to kill him and eat him. The tanuki was defending himself. Kind of. Tanukis are for really. eating. <laughs> she just ran away once he got freed. He didn't have to kill the wife and serve her up back to the husband. Yeah. Yeah, the Tanuki is the worst one in the story, I say. Wait, what's wrong with the rabbit? Do you not believe in revenge? It wasn't even the rabbit's revenge. It was like the rabbit carrying out revenge for the farmer. It was a little weird. Well, the farmer had farming to do. He was too busy. <laughs> Rabbits have lots of free time to murk people. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I get it. So at the turn of the 1900s, Tanuki lore got a few things added to it, one of them being the straw hat. Now, most Tanuki you see depicted these days are going to be wearing a straw hat. And modern sculptors will say that it's a symbol of readiness, that they're prepared for bad weather or bad luck. Mm -hmm. But older depictions show a Tanuki with umbrellas before they got the straw hat. And the theory I heard is that's related to a popular song where the Tanuki steals sake during a rainstorm. So he's wearing an umbrella to keep dry. Okay. That's why he's often depicted, and that morphed into a hat over the years. Hmm. I'd heard of the connection with between that story and the sake flask, because that's another thing that you see added a lot of times uh, in current depictions they'll be holding a bottle of sake in one hand yeah it goes back to the same roots there mm -hmm. tanuki are well known to like their sake yeah 
Did you know a lot of times that flask will have the kanji hachi, number eight, in a circle? Did you see that? I saw that. What does that mean? So that is a reference to, we can't do an episode of this podcast without talking about the tokugawas, right? No, I don't think we have yet. Yeah. Tokugawa Ieyasu, he got the nickname Furutanuki, Old Tanuki, because he was considered a clever schemer. (laughs) And that symbol that you see on the sake flask was the family crest of the Tokugawas in Owari, an old province in Japan. Okay, cool. Yeah. In addition to the straw hat and sake flask, a lot of times they're holding a promissory note, which uh, symbolizes all of their unpaid debts. Because Tanuki, they don't pay for things. Yeah, I feel like that might be related to their power of turning pebbles into gold, Mm -hmm. whereas they pay for a lot of stuff without actually paying for anything. Right. So the Tanuki always owes somebody, and he ain't paying. Right. (laughs) So yeah, over time, Tanuki lost its characterization as evil, and these days they're more known as silly, lovable symbols of good luck. Yeah, today it's very common for ceramic statues of Tanuki to be found all over Japan, but especially outside bars and restaurants. Yeah, a lot like the Maneki Neko, the little cat that's beckoning in customers. Yep. The pudgy Tanuki effigy beckons in drinkers and diners to enter and spend generously. Yeah, because like we said, the Tanuki are connected to good luck with money, you know, businesses, any kind of money-making venture. It's all about that stretching the money and the statues are kind of cool because you see the whole centuries-long history of tanuki legends in japan all built into the statues yeah there's all this symbolism you've got the big tummy you got the straw hat they usually have this like weird kind of like bewildered almost slightly confused look on their face yeah it's just like this silly dopey look like they're You can just tell looking at this guy's face, he's not the brightest bulb. Yeah, like I'm be able to fool this guy. Yeah. And they, of course, have a giant scrotum, all of these statues. Yeah, they got that big scrotum hanging down between their legs, but you almost never see the actual member. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you see the scrotum. Yeah. That's that's it. I did see some examples where they do have the actual penis above the scrotum, but... uh, I didn't notice any of those. Yeah. They're going to have a sake flask, of course, Yep. and that promissory note. Uh And most of the statues that you see around Japan are actually from the same place, Shiga Prefecture. There's one guy that's credited with creating this design. Fujiwara Tetsuzo was a potter who moved to Shiga Prefecture in 1936, and he devoted the rest of his career to these Tanuki statues. I didn't know that. I did notice that they looked like very similar. Like yeah, you can definitely tell it's like a single style that they all came from. Right, definitely. So it's from this guy. Yeah. And in 1951, Emperor Hirohito visited the area and the town prepared a row of flag-waving tanuki to greet him. So he's, you know, walking down the street and he sees just a long row of tanuki and he liked them so much that he wrote a poem about them. So that the media picked that up and that's just a great story. So that was supposed to have contributed a lot to the popularity of those statues. All right, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Because they got popular. Definitely. I mean, they really are everywhere. Yep. And you'll also see Tanuki all over in modern Japanese media. You know, we mentioned the video games. 
Tanuki pop up. Mm-hmm. Anime, I mentioned the Ghibli movie. Other anime, they definitely pop up to manga advertisements. Mascots. Yes, definitely mascots. Lawson convenience stores. They have a points card with a little Tanuki mascot guy on there. There's a shrine to Tanuki in Akihabara, which I wish I had known when I went to Akihabara last. Yeah, I never really noticed any shrines in Akihabara. It's probably like off the main street. Yeah. There's also at Sensoji, the oldest temple in Tokyo, they have Chingoto Shrine that has a couple big Tanuki statues. Ah, nice. Yeah. So if you're in Japan, keep an eye out for that kind of thing. And if you're lucky, you might even get to see a real live Tanuki if you're walking through the woods or something. Yeah, yeah, it could happen. Especially if you're out in the early morning. Yeah. I've heard of people seeing them in Miyajima. I think I read somebody saw one climbing up Fushimi Inari. Okay, yeah. We saw boars on Fushimi Inari. Yeah, we did. And supposedly there are around a thousand Tanuki living in Tokyo. Like you can actually see them in the city. Living off trash. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Even though Tokyo is a clean city. Yeah. I think that's all I got for Tanuki. You got anything else, Paul? No, I think we covered it. All right. Well, I guess that's it. And again, this was a, did I say at the beginning that this was a listener requested episode? I don't think I did. No, I don't think you did. Well, it is. A listener requested this. And to that listener, I want to say thank you so much because this was a really fun topic to research and talk about. And I I just, I love this stuff. This is really fun. Yeah. Jason's been bouncing off the walls all week, (laughs) throwing awesome Tanuki facts my way. Yeah. It's, it's, it was really cool. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Like we covered the big stuff, but if you want to read more about Tanuki legends and stuff, go look it up. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So if you want to request a topic for a future episode, or maybe you want to tell us what you thought of this episode, you can do that by sending an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. If you want to see some pictures of Tanuki statues, you could Google it. What we should do is check out our Instagram at SJP Podcast. I'll be posting pictures of those Tanuki. Nice. And what are we talking about next time, Paul? Join us on the next episode as we talk about Onsen, Japanese hot spring resorts. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll learn all about how that works, how the water comes up out of the ground and into your bath. Yeah, there'll be a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of tradition and culture there as well. Yeah, Onsen are real big in Japan. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.